us and use us and t- help us to move forward, glory to God, in being the kind of Christians that you want us to be. And we just so thank you for all of it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We are going to talk, I believe, if the Lord's help, about prayer again. But I wanted to just uh, read this scripture to you. Uh, no doubt, you know, the Spirit of God inspired David to write, uh, to ask God those questions. And of course, we have other scriptures that would say how God, yes, He wants to come and breathe fresh wind into our life. He, he wants us to be revived. And uh, I, uh, I haven't done this yet in this series of teachings, so I wanted to give you some definition to the word revive. Amen. And it'll help us to understand maybe where we are and, you know, if we need some of this. And you probably do. I do too. Amen. And uh, praise God. So the Hebrew word for revive here literally means to make to live or to cause to live. Amen. It means to quicken, to make alive. And I like this. It means to nourish up. You know, over time, if something, someone becomes malnourished, it shows up. Their color's not right. You know, it just begins to show up on the outside what you're not getting on the inside. And, and the answer for that is to get the nutrients you've not been getting, to nourish up. And God spiritually wants to nourish us up, amen, uh, if we need that in our life. I like this. It means to recover. Recover. You know, a lot of us are candidates in seasons of our lives for a revival. It doesn't mean we did anything wrong. It doesn't mean we backslid. Right, but maybe we've been through protracted periods of pressure, tests, trials. We've been engaging the enemy. We've been taking ground. We've been uh, engaged in battle. And over time, you get maybe weary. You, you, you show the effect of that. And God wants to give you some R and R. Amen. He wants to cause you to recover from uh, all that you may endure and face just by doing the will of God faithfully. Amen. God's been faithful to do that for, for me, my wife and I, many times. Amen. I know He will be in the future. I like this. It means to repair. Right? So if something's broken and needs repair, and God repairs that in your life, that's a, that's a form of revival. Glory to God. And uh, amen. So I like that. It means to restore to life, to be made whole. Then I looked it up in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and the word revive means to become active or flourishing again. And a lot of Christians need this form of revival. You know, they've gotten to where they're going through the motions, and they haven't completely withdrawn from church, but they're not really involved in helps ministry. They're not, you know, they're really not fully engaged and fully invested in the full scope of the Christian life as it's meant to be lived in the family, outside, at work, and in the life of the local church. Amen? And so this word revive means to be made active again. Glory to God, where you're, you're feeling good and you're feeling fresh and you're motivated and you're ready to, I want to engage again, I want to serve again, I want to pray again. Amen. Praise God. You know, we don't want to be still. We need to be active. Glory to God. Active in our Christian walk. Moving. Amen. It means to flourish once more. To flourish once more. Then it also means, Merriam-Webster, to restore from a depressed, inactive, or unused state. 
if, if you can't see any area of your life where God isn't using you, you're a candidate for revival. Amen. Because the Bible talks about us in many places in the New Testament as in, in our individual walk as a member of the body of Christ. Well, that analogy obviously is meant to tell us that we have a place of function. Right? So if you're the, the ear, that describes a place of function. Right? Sight, legs, toes, you know, all of it. Hands. Amen. We need, I, I've got every piece that God designed the human body to have. I had anything taken out, thank God. Praise God. And, you know, whether science knows it or not, there's, I know we might be able to live without an appendix, but I have mine. I plan on keeping it because God gave it to me. But see, every part is designed to have a function, to be used. And your Christian life, you're to be, and it doesn't just mean a volunteer position at church. Don't, don't just think about it like that, amen? But we are to be part of a living system, a local body, that's true, and to be used to some degree in it. And if you don't care about that, you don't want that, you just got tired, you got ticked off at a personality or whatever, and you're not being used, see, you're a candidate for revival. Amen. Because uh, God wants to use you and we need you. The body of Christ needs you in your place. Amen. I like that. It also says to restore from a depressed place. Amen. And again, sometimes you can, you just not even really a matter of quitting or backsliding, but just because of what you face, you can kind of find yourself depressed or weighed down. We'll see it's, it's an action of God's reviving work. To cause you to come back out of that depressed place Amen. where you're walking in joy again. You're walking in peace again. You got hope once more. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I like this. He also says, the Miriam Webster says, it means to bring back. To revive means, man, I fell back or whatever. You lost ground, but he's going to bring us back. Back to where we ought to be. You know, you could think about uh, a, an old car being restored. It got revived. It was rotten. It was junking. It was missing parts. It was torn up. And somebody took it into the shop. And it was a labor of love over sometimes months or years. And that car is put back, brought back to its original condition. It got revived. Amen? And listen, God wants to do that in your life if you need it. I don't know how much you got to do is just say, throw your hands up in the air and say, Father, I'll take it. Come on, praise God. Amen. Here are some synonyms for the word revive that I like. Recharge. Recharge. Rejuvenate. Rekindle. Amen. Resurrect. Revitalize. To awaken again. Now the Webster's 1828 dictionary, Noah Webster, the one he wrote, says that the word revive means to recover life or to recover vigor. To be reanimated after depression. He says it means to recover from a state of neglect. See, a lot of times we neglect the spiritual disciplines that keep us sharp and on the cutting edge. And because we neglect the Word, we neglect the church, we neglect prayer, we neglect our fellowship with God, for whatever reason, then we need to be brought back from that. Amen. And so we need to be uh, 
have our life repaired from the effects of our own neglect. Amen. You know, have you figured this out yet in life that everything in life, maintenance is involved? You know, you just don't get all dressed up and plan this great event and have a wedding. And then that's it. It's blissful forever. Right? There's a maintenance to marriage. Dr. Frayne, I mean, he just beat this into us who would listen. He said, everything you obtain, you must maintain. Everything. You get a building, an airplane for the ministry, you get a house, you get a piece of equipment, you're going to have to maintain it. So be sure, a lot of people like to obtain, but they don't like to maintain. And then that starts to show up, show up and it's unexcellent. Because you obtain what you're not willing to maintain. Your spiritual life requires maintenance. Some of you need an oil change, you know, praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You need a fresh battery put in. A new drive belt, whatever it is. But revival is God doing that for you. Amen. Of course, you've got your part. You've got to cooperate with Him. Amen. So I like that a lot. Praise God. Uh, to recover from a state of neglect, oblivion, or obscurity. To recover its natural state. To raise from discouragement. And to refresh with a new sense of joy and hope. That's what I found out what the word revive means. Amen? Some whole churches need to have this happen to them. A lot of preachers need to have this happen to them. Amen? Glory to God. Father, we just thank you tonight for reviving us. I ask you to do it. We ask you to do it. God, every place in our life where it's needed. We need to be restored. We need to be revived. We need to be rejuvenated. We need to be brought back. We need to be brought, our spiritual lives need to be brought back to life again. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray in this place that you would breathe fresh wind. Glory to God. Uh, Renew their sense of hope. Renew their sense of joy about life and about you. And about your calling on their life. God, every place in our church, every place in our family, every place in our personal walk that has become dull instead of sharp. Father, restore that, God. I just so thank you, Father. Glory to God for the rain and the moving of your Spirit. Glory to God into every life. God, any person that's been pressed down into a depressed state, I thank You for lifting them up again. Glory to God. Pull them up out of that miry clay, Father. Pull them up, glory to God, out of that horrible pit and set their feet upon a rock. Glory to God, the rock of the Word, the rock of Jesus Christ. May You, Jesus, be the center of everything going on with us. May our hearts be sincere, wholehearted towards You, nothing indifferent. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Praise God. I want to go over, it's not in my notes yet, but I just wanted to, felt impressed. Let's go over to Revelation chapter 3 for just a moment. 
And uh, I wouldn't want anyone to ever, ever, you know, you get over into condemnation because you know you know where you're, you're not where you should be. You know you should be further, but you're not. And, uh, you know, in a sense, I don't know of any person in the room that couldn't say that. You know, theoretically it's possible, but, you know, if I do a full inventory of my spiritual life, I'm not exactly feeling like I'm perfect or, you know, definitely not where I want to be in every area. But I am, I am burning with a good fire. Amen. And uh, praise God. But um, there, there, see, this, this revival, praise God, is part of God's remedy for, you know, really putting a fast forward on to getting us where we ought to be. Amen. It's a good thing. It's a God thing. And like we talk, sang about, like we were talking about, it's, it would be it, what an act of love that is. You know, I know on some of our digital devices, you know, back in the days of VHS, you could not just advance to a new part in the movie or to just select a scene. You remember those days? You had to rewind. And then if you got it on full rewind, you had to just guess on where you might want to be. But then if you want to do the slow rewind, oh my goodness, it would just take forever. But now, see, we have chapter advance digitally. Boom. And you're just there. Well, see, I kind of see this. You know, maybe you're here. And you should be there. But instead of that slow, fast forward, he could just boom. Do a transforming work in your heart and a transforming work in your mind and uh, even minister to your emotions and just set you ablaze and just save you three months of cultivating, you know, through just sheer discipline. Getting to back where you should have been all the time. Come on, that's good. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> and uh, so here, you know, in Revelation chapter 3, we have this letter to the Laodiceans. And, and of course, you know, it, it's, you know, it's kind of seen of the seven letters as Jesus being the strongest, the strongest rebuke maybe that he gave any church that he wrote a letter to. And maybe that's true. But if you'll read it with a a sense of real love and mercy, you can see that yes, they're being corrected and yes, they're being rebuked, but what a precious remedy is offered to them. So let's just read this. In uh, Revelation 3.14, it says, uh, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's Jesus. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I would that you were cold or hot. In other words, it's get off the fence. I've heard this preached all kinds of different ways. One of my favorite thoughts about how this could be thought of, cold or hot. You know, something cold is refreshing. You know, sometimes Fridays are farm days for me. And if I'm out on the farm, it's hot. And I, may, I don't want to go all the way inside because I'm dirty. And I'll just turn on the well water and... Drink right out of my hose and that stuff. You let it run for a few seconds, it's ice cold. And you just dump it on your head, put it in your hat, put it in your mouth, and you are refreshed. Hello? Hot, it can represent healing. Put a hot pad on, you get into the sauna. There's hot fire, movement, purging. But see, when you get something lukewarm, 
I like cold. I found out I, I, I was late. I, I, I should have listened to y'all earlier. I was way behind on the cold coffee thing. I just thought that sounded gross until I had one. And whoo, I've been a cold brew guy since that day. Uh, amen. But I also like hot coffee. But you know what I don't like? Lukewarm coffee been sitting in the cup about five hours. You go midday and there's a fly that landed in it. That's just gross. Hello. So this is the idea. It could be the idea. Jesus said, hey, be refreshing, be healing, be something. But you're lukewarm. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I don't like that. Don't be like that. Don't be indifferent. Don't be in feeling. Don't act like, don't get hard. Don't get callous. Don't act like you don't give a rip. Because, yeah. you know, that, you're, that person is in a difficult position with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Amen. Because you say, I am rich, verse 17, and you're increased with goods, and you say, he's hearing people say, you know, communicate their attitude, I don't need nothing. I got money. I just, I just don't need that. I'm, you know, I'm good. And Jesus said, you know it's not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, if, if you're too deep into where you do need revival, see, this is, this is why you need revival. It's because this is your true condition. This is my true condition. Wretched, miserable, naked, poor, blind. Amen? Spiritually speaking, of course. Now, here's what I really want to get, how sweet the Lord is. How wonderful the Lord is. So in verse 18, he says, I counsel thee. He said, I'm, could I say, here's my advice. If you find yourself in this condition, to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, and white raiment or clothing that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now, so here he's saying, uh, could I just summarize? He's basically saying, you're in a poor spiritual condition here. What I counsel you to do is come to me. Come to me and get from me that I'm going to anoint your eyes so you can see again. I'm going to refresh your sense of righteousness so that you'll be gleaming white and have a sense of nakedness about you. And I'm going to enrich your spiritual life. I'm going to give you the gold. I'm going to give you the clothing. I'm going to give what you need to not be in this condition. But see, there's only one place to get it. If we find ourselves in a lukewarm state, there's only one person that could help you get out of that. Amen. Happens to be the one that bled for you and died for you and redeemed you. And he's just basically saying, come back to me. You know, anyone that gets tired of serving in a church, you know, I understand all the, you know, the, you know, just the natural part of things. Having to show up early to usher, the challenges of being faithful to serve in children's ministry, whatever it is. Amen. I could get tired in my position. But, you know, I never get that way. I never get that way as long as me and Jesus have a lot happening. 
Right? So when my personal walk with Jesus is where it needs to be, He keeps everything new. He keeps everything alive. He keeps everything fresh. He keeps everything interesting. I, I'm fully aware, I was talking to Rex about this two or three or four days ago, I don't know. And uh, you know about how, I don't, I don't know how others outside of my life perceive me, maybe brothers or friends or whatever. But I guess in some sense, someone could look upon my life and go, man, that's boring. I wouldn't want that life. You know, because what do I do, basically? Well, I get up and I eat and I do the normal stuff, brush my teeth, and typically I go spend a lot of time in the Word, a lot of time in prayer. I counsel somebody, may have a meeting. But my life is filled with being in the Word, being in prayer, studying. Coming to church, leaving church, traveling around the world to go to church, go to a meeting. And I'm just as thrilled as, as if I just got off the, what was, I don't know what that favorite tech, roller coaster in Texas was I always liked. I don't know what that was called. You remember that, Six Flags? I don't, whatever it was. But that's kind of a thrilling thing. Right. And I'm just, just, I'm just thrilled to get to go to church, to go to a meeting, praise God, to get to lay hands on another sick person, to study my Bible. And, on the outside, it may just look boring, but I'm just telling you, praise God, when you're doing what God tells you to do, yeah. amen, and you're in your vein and in your calling, man, you're thrilled, you're excited, you're just, man, praise God. Sometimes I think, you know what, I need, a, need more of a hobby, but I, I'm just full of doing stuff I like to do. But anyway, again, my point is, is that if you get bored, Dr. Dufresne said, you know, boredom. you got to watch out, preachers, about boredom. And that's true for every Christian. Boredom is a ministry killer. You let yourself get bored with what you're called to do. It's very dangerous. Because then you don't do, you know, you're not as fully invested as the calling deserves. So you're not really living up to it. Because you're bored. And I, I've heard about, Dr. Frank used to tell me about pastors, you know, that he's, they're, that pastor was going to speak that night, special meeting. And uh, Dr. Frank said, look, we got to get out of here, man. It's almost two o'clock. I get my hotel room. And he's not even up to speak that night. He's going to pray all afternoon for the meeting. But the one speaking said, no, let's go over to the movie. It gets out about 530. That gives me enough time to get home, take my shower, shave my face, throw my suit on, and go to church. He's like, what? Seriously? No, that's, that's not what you're going to do. You better get in your room, pray, and get before God. Right. That's dishonoring your position. You talk about preachers, but, you know, whatever your helps ministry position is, you ought to be bringing honor to that, dignity to that, excitement to that. Do everything you do, the Bible says, as unto the Lord. Do it heartily, as unto Him and not unto men. And you'll get a reward for it. Another danger of being bored, especially for a preacher, is a pastor that gets bored. Open your Bible looking at the same faces. Every, you know, pastor could get bored with that. And then that might lead to the idea, you know what, I think I'm going to be an evangelist. I think I'm going to go out and travel. Mm -hmm. Well, that would be fine if that was God's divine instruction and anointing on your life. But if you're just doing it because you're bored, you could die. Yeah. Because to intrude in another man's office that you're not called to is dangerous. Amen. You cannot, don't let boredom set in on your Christian life. When you sense it, 
trying to come on you and to take root in you, you better throw another log on the fire. You better get yourself in an impartation line. You better stir yourself up. Say, Father, I need revival. And, but see, we need His advice, Jesus' counsel to the lukewarm is, You're, come to me. Notice he says, buy from me. Get from me. Well, he's not asking you for money, but whatever price you're going to have to pay to make yourself get in his presence, you should pay it. You've got to take a day off work. If you've got to turn the TV off and say no to some hobbies and other things that's been distracting you. I'm telling you, distractions is why a lot of people are not where they ought to be. misplaced priorities and all kinds of things. But see, Jesus is not being hard here, is He? He's just telling it like it is. I'd rather you be cold. I'd rather you be hot. There's some good benefits to either one. But I do not like this lukewarm thing I see in you, son or daughter. And you need to fix it because it makes me want to spew you right out of my mouth. But I love you. And I want you to come to me. And I will fix it. I will give you what you need. Hey, is that good? I think that's good. Praise God. Are you receiving it? How about y'all out there? Are you receiving it? Amen. So, you know, he says, come and I'm, I'm going to give you gold. I'm going to give you righteousness, white clothing. I'm going to cover your nakedness. No more. See, you, people know and they, they know anything about Jesus. And they walk around with, heaped up with shame. You can see it on their faces because you can tell that they know they're not doing what they should be doing. They're not living the way they should be living. And they're doggedly determined to stay in that. But they know themselves how unhappy they're, they're ashamed of it on the inside. Jesus says, listen, I forgive you. I love you. I just I'd love to. I'm going to get rid of all that shame. I'm going to get rid of all that. Amen. I'm going to cause you to burn white hot again. I'm going to revive you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Notice he goes on and says, as many as I love, I rebuke. Anybody ever get rebuked by Jesus? I have. Well, remember like we were talking about at the beginning of the service? That's love talking. As you're getting rebuked. That's if it's coming from a right heart, coming from God, even if God's using a man like your pastor. (laughs) Amen. Amen. You know, at times I'm trying to think of a specific instance, but I know God's talked through the voice of my wife, and it's been a rebuke. But I could tell after I got over my flesh, you know, that, boy, that's, that's the mind of the Spirit for me. Better just swallow it. Yeah. <laughs> better, just, better just put the shoe on, because it sure fits. <laughs> Amen? Praise God. He says, I rebuke and I chasten, I discipline those that I love. Notice what he said, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Change your mind. Change your direction. Remember, that's how we started talking about the subject of revival. You're not going to have revival without repentance. You know, we want the kind of revival that makes us roll and run. But we need the kind of revival that makes us repent. Makes us stop sinning. Makes us change our mind. Change our direction about some things. Amen. I'm telling you, you don't want to live another day outside the will of God in this year because God's got great things in store for all who are in the flow with Him. Amen. 
course, he goes on and says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door. See, who's got to open the door? See, Jesus, the Ancient of Days, evidently is not big enough and strong enough to open the door of your heart. You have to do it. I have to do it. He'll knock, won't He? That little knowing on the inside. Come on. You know better than that. Come on. Get yourself over there and pray. Come on. Get excited about my word. Come on. Don't get frustrated. Stay in there. Come to me. I'll refresh you. Knock, 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 knock. Oh, but the TV's saying, no, watch me, watch me. And then the text message dinger goes off, you know. Dang, 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 right? I know how it is. But see, there's Jesus. Y'all let me know when that gets kind of annoying. I'm telling you, Jesus is kind of persistent. Some people get up on Monday. It's what they, if they check down on the inside of them, their conscience, this is what they hear. And they, they try to overcome all that. Oh, you're there? Good. Tuesday comes. You know, sometimes this is a decade. A decade goes by. And there's Jesus. If you want that to stop, open the door. And see what wants to annoy the rebellious mind and flesh is love and mercy. Because what if He just stopped knocking? Come on, what if He just stopped knocking? And you didn't hear that anymore. The likelihood is, you're just going to go deeper and deeper and deeper in the wrong direction because you've got nothing reminding you that this is not the way I've called you to be, sweetie, and not the way I've called you to live. called conviction coals of fire upon the head you know Esau resisted that for so long that eventually it faded into nothing and then he earnestly sought for it and couldn't find it Bible says he sought to repent earnestly with tears but he couldn't find even the conviction he had so rebelled and resisted the dealings of the Lord in his life that God went silent. You know, I haven't even, off my notes, so praise God, we won't get there tonight, but somebody needs to hear it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, uh, if you're ever inclined to read the book of Acts in the Amplified Translation. You'll, of course, get over into Acts chapter 9, where it is accounted the conversion of Saul of Tarsus is told. The story of him seeing the great light, being blinded by that light, knocked to the ground by the power of God as he's on his way, going the wrong direction, doing the wrong thing. 
Call me, you think you could find that scripture? You have your Amplified with you? Where it talks about, you know, Jesus shows up and He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And then He says, it is difficult for you to kick against the goads. That's the King James translation. That's kind of blind to us. But in the Amplified of that verse, whatever it is, Verse 5, so Melissa, could you give me Acts 9, verse 5 in the Amplified so we could all see it? It's so enlightening. Praise God. And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Notice, it is dangerous. It is dangerous and it will turn out badly for you to keep kicking against the goad. To offer vain and perilous resistance. So, a goad, y'all know what a goad is, right? A goad is a prod, like a cattle prod. And it had a blunt end on it. It wasn't sharp. But the shepherd, right, it's uncomfortable when he's got an animal a cow, a sheep, a goat that is resisting, going the direction the shepherd wants it to go, the shepherd would goad. You know, goad him in the ribs. And so evidently, what does this tell you? Saul of Tarsus, what was he doing? He was persecuting Christians. He thought, he told us later, he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was doing a spiritual thing. He thought he was doing God a favor as a faithful Judah. Persecute these Christians. Put them in jail. Sanction their stoning. And he's on his way, on the road to Damascus, to continue this effort. All the while, what this verse tells us, if we could keep it up there, is he's being goaded by the conviction of his heart. You see, this gives us tremendous insight. People can be... You know, people raised up in Judaism or uh, in a Hindu faith or a Muslim faith, right? That's all they know. That's all Paul knew was Judaism. He was the Pharisee's Pharisee. He was trained by the best. He was zealous for it. That's all he knew. But notice it was wrong at that moment because Jesus had come and He had been resurrected. He's the Jewish Messiah. He is the world's Messiah. But he didn't believe it. He didn't get it. But see how God's being faithful by the Holy Ghost to goad His heart? And God does that for every human being. Doesn't matter what they were raised up in, how wrong, how entrenched they are. The Holy Ghost is going to take His cattle prod and get them and goad them. And this is what's been happening. But what was Saul of Tarsus doing evidently? Resisting it. You don't resist something that you don't, you're not on some level aware of. He's bothered on the inside. You got to just see Saul while he's watching Stephen get stoned, and he's carrying the coat of those that are stoning Stephen. And in his flesh, he thinks he's doing, in his mind, he thinks he's doing the right thing. In his flesh, he ought to be excited, but see, down on the inside, he's bothered. You know, he's conflicted, he's convicted. Yeah. Amen. You ever been there? Come on, be honest. You ever been there? Been a Christian very long, you leave your shopping cart out in the middle of the parking lot. I get a Holy Ghost goad. Put that back. 
Put that back. This was my experience. After my experience at the frat party, I'd go, I went back to my Thursday night beer time and didn't enjoy it anymore because now i got a goad. <clears throat> what was that? Man. And that's what this conviction is. I just want to go back. I know you know it, but just look at it. Don't forget it. Amen. If you ever get there, if you're ever going the wrong way, you're ever doing the wrong thing, and your head just, you can't figure it out. You don't know why. You think you're going the right way. You're being sincere, but you're not peaceful on the inside. You're not joyful on the inside. In fact, you've got this, mm, mm, mm. Listen, you need to stop. Pay attention. Don't forget this scripture. Amen. What did he say? He didn't just say it's bad. He said it's dangerous. Now, y'all just need to take a moment and swallow that and just get that in. It's dangerous. You don't use the word dangerous unless something really painful, something really negatively impactful could happen to you in your life if you make it a habit of resisting the goad of the Holy Ghost. Because all, all things spiritual, they may be a little mystical, but we develop habits. And when, we, when our default position is when that comes, if we don't like it, if we don't agree with it, if it doesn't really agree with our mind and our emotions, we resist it. That's our go-to. Then when He tries to goad you not to get in your car for 10 minutes because an accident's coming, or not to get on that airplane, not to make that investment, not to marry that person, but it's a goad. He didn't write it in the sky. He just said, mm, don't do that. That's wrong. It's, see, it's dangerous to make it a habit to resist the dealings of God with you in your heart. Amen. You'd be much better served to force your mind and your will to come in line with that poking in that prodding, whether you understand it or not. I did not understand as I was being counseled to go to Rama Bible Training Center, as I thought about it in my mind, as a young person who has discovered a call to ministry, going to Bible school, doesn't that make sense? Go get some training. And I tried to do that. I applied and was accepted. But as the actions went along, something on the inside of me poked me. Didn't want me to do that. Well, I listened. I didn't understand. It didn't make sense to me. And God didn't show up in English and explain it to me. Amen. I, I said, well, maybe it's not time. I waited another year. Amber and I were on track to get married. I thought, well, we'll both go. We'll both go to Tulsa. I applied, got accepted again. And we got closer. She had, did you had the same witness, right? Something just not right about it. Something just not right about it. And I just didn't understand. It just didn't make sense to me. But by His grace, I was able to follow that particular leading. I didn't override the go to go ahead and do it anyway. And I, I had to do some things in the natural idea. I had no idea how a ministry, how he was going to do it, how he was going to get me into full-time ministry. I didn't have any idea. All I know is I don't like that down on the inside. And if this action gets that to stop, praise the Lord. Amen. 
Listen, do not live with that thing because it's you may not like it, you may be mad at it, but it's Him trying to help you. Trying to get you on the right track. And if you insist to do your own thing unless He fills in all the blanks to satisfy all your questions in your brain, you could just forget it. Because that's just not how, that's just not how He rolls. He requires you to trust Him while not seeing. That's just God's way. Told Abraham, pack up, tell your wife, you and your wife, get up, get out of here, and go. Go where? I'm not telling you yet. Just go. And you know, he did. Took faith, but he did it. Did it work out for him? It would have been dangerous for him to stay in that town where he had a house and everything was comfortable and everybody knew him. It actually would have been dangerous for him to stay. When in the natural, to get out there in a tent, some camels with my family and go off into some land. I have no, no idea where I'm going. Who's out there? Are the natives friendly? In the natural, that looks far more dangerous and uncertain for your wife and your future family. But it's the safest thing you could do if it's God leading you. And this, is what the, this is just the issue with so many who are called to the ministry. They don't trust God enough to take a step. And you'll never be worthy of a ministry if you don't show yourself faithful to trust God enough to just do whatever it is He is leading you to do. You can only do what you can do, and He's not going to tell you everything. But you know, you think about all that's unfolded in Reverend Kamel's life. Since he landed in America with how much money do you say in your pocket? 630 bucks. I don't have 30, 30 bucks in my pocket, however he says it. 18-year-old kid. How much was your semester, your semester tuition at the Bible school? $15,000. He shows up in America. No place to live. No job. 630 bucks in his pocket. But he came. And you know what he found out? God is big enough to take care of you. You know, as Jesus was training disciples, future preachers, remember He told them to team up two by two? Remember He told them, by the way, take your Bible, leave your coat, don't take any money. Why do you think He told them that? Because He said, you're in training, and I want you to experience for yourself the faithfulness of God to take care of you. So you go in that city and you show up out there and you're going to find out God's made provision for a place for you to stay. Somebody's going to fix you a meal. They're not going to charge you any money. God's going to take care of you. Amen. Now you remember when he, the night before he got arrested, he said, okay, you can get your wallet now. Because they were trained up. But you know that he wanted them to experience that season where you're going to go into a village, go into this place on your own with nothing but God and His assignment. Show up in this city and experience what Jesus had already learned, that my Father is big enough to meet all your needs. Amen. Amen. For every um, one called to the ministry that's in a secular job, they're going to have to take that step of faith at some point, right? 
Isn't that right? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now you just need to apply it to your situation. What's God, you know, maybe nothing. But they're all, we're all going to experience that goat at some point. Right? But did you get that? He said it's dangerous. And then he did tell us, how's it going to turn out? It's going to turn out badly. You make that investment while this goat is saying don't do it, you just know it's going to turn out bad. Doesn't matter how good that girl kisses and how good she cooks, if that goat's going on and you marry her overriding that goat, it's going to turn out badly. Go to that church because there's business people there and you think you can network, but they don't preach any word and it's not where God wants you to be and you're going there against that goad. It's going to turn out bad. Yes, sir. I got goaded one time. You've heard my story, right? Got goaded one time driving in my car. Put your seatbelt on. Well, he goaded me three times, but see, I'm on a clock because there's an accident coming on the other side of that overpass. What if I'd have just ignored that goat? It'd be dangerous for me. It would have been dangerous for me. It would have turned out badly. You know, see, when stuff happens, and I know we've had a lot in the national news about Kobe Bryant and his daughter and a basketball coach and his wife and his daughter and a pilot and nine people. See, if I could talk to him, see, this way I think, if I could talk to him, I'd like to ask him, what was going on the day before in your heart? What was the random off-the-wall thought or feeling or sense of foreboding or whatever? Because I guarantee you, saved or unsaved, God is so good. He does what He can. Yeah. He doesn't speak audibly. We're not promised that. Right. He could, but that's just not what we're promised. We're not promised to get a fleece or God's going to ride it in the sky or He's just flat going to intervene and stop it. Right. He speaks. He goads. We have to learn. To follow that. Amen. To follow that unspoken leading. How did we get over here? Don't know, but I like it. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It is dangerous and it will turn out badly for you to keep kicking against the goat. Now, could I tell you this, that another form of God's goat is this. Have you ever felt that blunt thrust as the sword of the Spirit? You're just reading along or you're hearing a preacher and, ooh, oh, I felt that. Well, do people kick against it? They kick against having a church. They kick against, they kick against the Word. They kick against the commandments. They kick against tithing. You know, if, but if you've been... Uh, presented with the truth from the Word, uh, uh, uh. well, you can kick against it, but it's going to turn out badly for you. It's going to turn out badly for you. We need to be, like I've said on Sundays, we need to be people of the Word and have a, a regard for it. And if it slaps us two ways beside, however you say it, <laughs> we just need to accept it. Because if it's dangerous to resist it, then it's got to be supremely advantageous to follow it. Amen. 
Doesn't that make sense? Amen. It's going to be equally a blessing in the end for you to go the direction of the goad than it would be to override it. Paul tried to tell them later in the book of Acts, as they were, he was a prisoner then, so he didn't get to make, he wasn't setting his own itinerary, he's in chains. And they were looking at the weather, and, and all the expert sailors, you know, put their finger up and decided, oh, looks good, we're gonna go. And he said, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage is perilous, and it will end with much loss, even of our very lives. Notice he said, I perceive it. He didn't say God told me. He didn't say an angel showed up. He didn't say I had a vision. He said, I perceive. They talked it over again say, what do you know? We do this for a living. They went by the natural. And of course, you know the story. If it wasn't for Paul's presence, his faith, and the divine assignment on his life, the angel that came down, they would have lost all their lives. And that ship went to the bottom of the brink. And think about the loss of money. Ships are expensive, I'm sure, even back then. And all the cargo, and all the trouble, and all the time lost because they overrode, right? A, a perception of a man of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The book of Acts, I'll tell you, so, so if you want to learn some intricacies about how the Spirit leads and how He moves in different ways, just read the book of Acts. Just read it over and over again. Isn't that right, Reverend Connell? You know, there's a time again where Paul, he's got his mission team and they're, they're, they're trying to figure out where God wants him to go preach next. So they set off in this direction towards Bithynia or someplace. And it says the Spirit forbade them to go that direction. Now, how's that work practically? Well, they started out and then, I don't know. This is just not right. And that was the Spirit saying, don't go that way. Well, then they said, well, perhaps He wants us to go over here to another city. And they started off in that direction. And it says something a little different, something similar. The Holy Ghost uh, banned them, you know, told them, no, I don't do that. You're not, I don't want you to go that way. This is something that you just have to learn about the Holy Ghost. Would you just tell me where you want me to go? Right? I mean, that'd be easier, wouldn't it? You'd think in our mind, how about you just tell me where you'd like me to go? But He didn't. The Holy Ghost didn't. The, they had to discover it. How? By making movement. See, if you don't know, the answer isn't always stay still and do nothing. Well, set off in this direction. And if you, the peace is gone, the joy is gone, he's goading you on the inside. Well, okay, now, well, I got that one. Check that off the list. So we're not going that way. We're not going to do that. And you might sit around for three months waiting for the Holy Ghost to tell you what to do. And the answer is, try something else. Go this way. And you might find, no, that's not it either. That's just not it either. And then, you could read in there, it says that at night, the Holy Ghost gave him a vision in a dream. 
And a man from Macedonia stepped out in the dream and says, come help us. How come, you, how come we have to go through all the hoops? I don't know. I'm not God. And you're not either. I don't, I don't know. But they didn't get the leading staying at headquarters. They got the leading making movement. And they weren't looking for someone to prophesy to them. They weren't looking to hear an audible voice from God or for God to give them some sign. All the while, you can tell if you read like a student the book of Acts, right? That there's internal stuff going on. No. No. And then you get over here and then a manifestation comes. He didn't ask for that. You shouldn't ask for that. He just chose to clarify it that way. We're really shotgunning it, right? Tonight. But praise God, you'll, if you'll pay attention, these are things that are so necessary. I'm telling you, our lives, the outcome of our lives can depend on getting right this internal mode of conversation that the Holy Ghost has with our spirit through a goad or a perception, right? Or the combination of you exploring some things, testing the waters. Amen. But Christians just oversimplify this whole issue and they blame everything on God. Like God did that to Kobe Bryant. And He didn't. Right? I don't even know that the devil did it. It's foggy. You can't see. You don't have the right equipment to tell you without visibility that there's a hillside coming. They chose to fly. Things happen. Doesn't make them bad people. Makes it a tragedy. But I just know my father enough. I've had enough experience in these things to know that God in His love and goodness did something in people's right. Amen. You remember the story Brother Hagin told about the pastor and his wife. The pastor was asked to go do a funeral in another city. And he was going to take a short single single engine prop, small plane ride over to this other city to do the funeral. Y'all heard this story? And it was real early in the morning. The wife just took him to the private airport and they had a son, maybe about five years old. It was real early in the morning. And they, just, they just picked him up in his pajamas, threw him in the back of the car. He just fell back asleep and they went to the airport. And about the time that, you know, dad got out, got on the airplane, they're taxiing down the runway. The little boy sits up straight in the back seat of the car and goes, Mama? Mama, daddy's not on, the, on that airplane, is he? Well, yeah, son, you know, we told you last night he's going to fly over to some city and do a funeral. Don't daddy know that plane's about to fly into that mountain? Boom! There it did. He flew around. How did that kid know that? How did that kid know that? Because his spirit is alive unto God as a, as a kid. And he hadn't 
reasoned himself into an adult to be all mental. He was sensitive just by his youthfulness to that inner knowing that we are all supposed to have. See, if the Holy Ghost was making him to know it, you got to know he was trying to make daddy know it. Doesn't make daddy evil. But it's sad. Brother Hagin in that same sermon tells about another story about a little kid and they're all families, all big family, and they're all talking about going on this vacation, going to go see grandma. They're going to be over here next week. They're going to be doing something of the whole family next week. And one of the little boys goes, well, well, daddy, don't you know? Mom, don't you know? I won't be there. I'm not going. Well, how come? How, what, what do you mean you're not going? You go where I tell you. You know, you're part of this family. He said, I'm going to be up there with Jesus. And you know he was? I'm not saying that was God, but I'm just saying he knew he wasn't going to be alive. He was going to be up there with Jesus by two weeks from then or whenever. See, how did he know that? His spirit is alive unto God. You know, little kids, whether they're saved or unsaved, your spirit is born alive unto God. That's why He takes all those little children to heaven if they die. Because their spirits are alive unto God. When they grow up and they mentally can understand the ramifications of knowing the difference between right and wrong and they choose wrong, we all do. See, then that's sin. And their spirit dies and they're separated from God. And it happens to every one of us because... We have that Adam's nature, that sin nature deep down on as a, right? Paul said in one of his letters, he said, I was alive without the law once. But when sin came, when sin, sin revived in me and I died. He's not talking about physically. But he said, I was alive without the law once. But I got old enough to know the difference between right and wrong. And I chose wrong, we all do. And I died That's why you have to be born. Notice we don't call the new birth born. We call it born again. Really, if you read Revelation carefully, every human being born into the earth, their name starts in the Lamb's book of life. You read it really carefully. But when they reach the what we call the age of accountability and they sin, it's blotted out and they've got to get it back in there. But see, this is why I'm saying this is why little children, whether they're in Christian families or not, they're sensitive to spiritual things because their spirits are alive unto God. And they haven't had time to have their brain, to, to be trained to be soul and reason and sense dominant. They haven't had that time to be messed up yet. But see, this is the, and I'll close with this, this is the mandate and the necessity of every Christian is to get, right, if, if you don't come to the kingdom of God like a little child, you can't really enter in. So the, the goal is we have to develop our spirits to be sensitive unto God that we can be very perceptive about discerning what's happening on the inside of us. And it's a, I don't, I got to let you go, but it's a huge 
ingredient to a believer's longevity, protection, and blessing. Because all, we all have the blessing of Abraham on our lives, but you have to be led into it. I had to be led here. I've had to be led since I've been here. I'm going to have to be led tomorrow. Amen. So you can't just be such a word person that you're not a Holy Ghost person. Because the very, 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 very specific things that you need to know from Him day to day, you can't get from in here. There's no place in here that says, Hey, Chris, marry her. He gives me general parameters about who would fit. But I gotta to find the one, I gotta follow the Holy Ghost. You're not gonna get there overnight, I'm not either. But you gotta you gotta be committed to this life of learning. And when you leave here and get up tomorrow, praise God. But just begin in a greater way to look look to him. What do I mean by that? Pay attention to your insights. I just try to say it very simply like this. Don't do anything that you don't have peace about on the inside. And every one of you, it doesn't matter how new to these things or experienced to these things you are, we can all do that today, right? And it doesn't matter how new you are to the faith and unlearned you are in the Scriptures. The Holy Ghost is on the inside of you and He loves you and He's your helper. And He cares about you. And if it's a good thing, if it's a right thing, if it's a safe thing, you will have peace about it. Not up here. I'm not talking about something mentally or emotionally pleasing. I'm talking about down in your knower, your gut. Mamas, don't, don't send off little Sally if this is not right in here. Hello? If it's something unsafe, unprofitable, not God's will for you, He will withdraw that peace. And He may, he may by the withdrawal, He may give you a sense of, of churning, not being right, you're not settled. And it can manifest in all kinds of even natural ways. You, you know, some people, they, get, they come to church here, it's kind of funny if you ever watch them. I know you're paying attention, but I get to watch people. They get under conviction. People under conviction in our service, they don't sit there and stay still. They gotta, they gotta go here and they gotta go there and they gotta get up because they're they're under conviction. You know. This is my brother before he got right with God. Bring him into a service, maybe one of us getting baptized or something, he won't come. Man, he couldn't sit still. Because he's under conviction. Well, see, thank God he finally stopped resisting the goad and got born again. And now all of his kids are born again. And they're living good and they're living right. They're living profitable. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. A lot of help there. That ought to be one you ought to download to your phone. Listen to it over and over and over again. Let God talk to you about it. Something in there for every one of us. Amen. Let's stand up tonight. Praise God.